Sí, cosas que yo sé ahora. Es muy loco, ¿ok? Gente. Welcome everyone, you're listening to KUCR here on 88.3 FM, also streaming online at KUCR.org. This is Daniel with the G Report. Today we'll get an opportunity to speak with Carlos La Madrid, community social work professional. Today we'll speak about the topic of self-care as it pertains to the current COVID-19 response. Before we begin, Carlos, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Good morning. Good morning, uh, KCR uh, listeners. Uh, my name is Carlos La Madrid. I'm actually an alumnus from uh, uh, <laughs> UCR uh, from the class of uh, 2000, actually. So this is really good. Uh, and I'm staying connected to uh, something unfamiliar, a campus unfamiliar. I have a Spanish surname. Um, we're Spanish and Yaqui on my dad's side, and then we're Chiricahua, Apache, and uh, Mexican Chicano on my mom's side. It's really good to be here, uh, being good uh, to give back a little bit, you know, to the community. And uh, today I work as a community social worker, uh, Daniel, and I've been working with the uh, county systems for a while as a substance abuse counselor, uh, and then moved on to. I'll go back to school to get my graduate uh, degree, a master's in social work. And then uh, about three years ago, I got licensed. So I still work in the community, still connected to the community. And it's good to be here. Carlos, thank you for joining us today. Um, I was hoping we could talk a little bit about uh, self-care. There is... Well, we're going through this moment nationally, and I would say globally, uh, of just unrecognizable stress. I, I think that many of us are not new to stress. Many of our communities have known insecurity, have known hunger, have known violence. But that hasn't changed with the present COVID-19 quarantine, shelter-in-place movement. Instead, I believe it's fair to say that things have become heightened. And as people are finding themselves at home, they are also thinking about just how they're feeling. And there's this awkward sense of not just isolation, but almost uh, questioning whether you there's something wrong with you because some of us are seeing these things online which are amazing so like i find myself sometimes checking online and people are having a blast they're the cooking they're creating these new skill sets that they're learning they're gardening and some of us are going i can't even get out of bed i was hoping we could talk about that expression i'd love to hear your thoughts on where we are or how we can approach self-care, self-investment, aside from the one that we're being told. We're being told, hey, cover your face, wear a mask, uh, wash your hands, because we're aware that this virus, COVID-19, is a threat. But I don't hear a lot of 
other messages that might say, hey, are you feeling okay? How's your emotional well-being? You know, first of all, I think it's important to address that, you know, there's a lot of loss right now in this pandemic, and we're feeling it in different ways. And and yes, the, the loss of life and um, the loss of many other things. So I really think we're in a period of mourning because it's happened in such a way that it's abrupted pretty much everything that we do in our daily lives that a lot of us sometimes are, we're either too numb from it or we're feeling too much and we're at very different extremes. And a little bit of what you were saying, you know, that some of us are, are, are trying to deal with it and some of us are really kind of in a different space. Um, so I think just acknowledging that this is a, a very difficult time for all of us, everybody really. And it's really brought um, in different, the crisis has brought out in different uh, ways. Very blatant though, um, the disparities, you know, the economic, educational, health, so many in different ways that it's, it's, it's a reality check. And it comes back, I think, to to self in, in many ways. If, if we're gonna talk about self-care that, you know, we're powerless sometimes over people, places, and things, you know, but we do have some of that control, you know, back to taking things into our own uh, hands when it comes to our well-being. And for me, my my journey of recovery started almost 20 years ago, actually 18 and a half years of uh, living a sober life today. And so chaos, crisis, was a way of life for a lot of people. And I'm using that as a as a metaphor comparison again, not to not to give there's a lot of weight in what's happening in Syria. But that comparison that a lot of people go into self care in different ways. So for the eighteen and a half years that I've been um, you know, walking a, a spiritual journey it's brought different tools, you know, and, and these tools early on in this pandemic they were looking at the recovery community, top step community, people that have done and dealt with certain things, you know, and they were looking at them as, hey, how are they doing it? How are they reacting? Because from a social standpoint, we didn't have that anymore. And people are going online. So I think it goes back to some of the basics, you know, of uh, like you mentioned already, our emotional health, our mental health, our physical health, and even our spiritual health. And, and I think dealing with that is really looking at ourselves and looking this time at this time as a mirror, you know, and that mirror, as we know, it's reflecting a lot of negative, a lot of darkness. And there's a lot, there's a, those systems of polarity. That's what I was trying to say earlier, that when we're in extremes, we're in polarities and those polarities will keep us off balance. So it's coming together, coming to the center. And that's different for every person, you know. Uh, what might be a balance for me might not be necessarily a balance for you. But at the same time, it's when we those we're in a interrelated interrelated system. So those four parts of us, our emotional, mental, physical, spiritual, is interrelated into each one. So when one is off balance, the other ones are going to fill it. So I think just coming back to really what's really important for us. And uh, you mentioned being at home and, and these certain things, you know, and we could say, well, yeah, being at home, I get to have more time. 
but there's a lot of challenges there. You know, even when it comes to resources, and even us doing this interview right now, the way we're doing it, you know, through a Zoom interaction, sometimes it might be a home that doesn't have a, a connection or even the equipment. So yes, things are very difficult. Um, and I think it's really coming back to how do we ground ourselves? What is important? And that question has to be asked, I think, at that individual level. Um, and so I'll say that right now. I want to say a little bit more of some of the things I've been noticing, and that's people coming together, uh, people coming together to help one another. And it goes back to that compassion, goes back to, you know, that we are interrelated not only as an individual, but into our families, our communities, and in our nation. So that, again, is in a broader context, those four elements, those four directions, those four parts are in us. And so self-care, uh, it can be as simple as getting back to the things that we like. And yet, how do we do that if we're restricted from ordinances and being outside and really being creative and looking, I think, for that silver lining of how are we going to get through this? But it really goes back to uh, looking at what's important within us and acknowledging that these are very difficult times and it's going to take some creativeness to get to that balance, to get to where at least we're okay with ourselves internally because then that internal energy is what we're going to be again reflecting out. You know, like I said, mirror. You know, we, we mirror what's inside of us. And if we're hurt, but we have pain, and that's what's going to come out. And so dealing with this in a very personal, spiritual, emotional, mental, physical way. I'd like to highlight something that you mentioned, that this moment serves as a mirror, both structurally as well as individually, so that we have been able to highlight just how the inequality that we have been tolerating up to this point uh, has been hidden. And I, and I say hidden because it's not even a right word of saying, because many of us have been actively working to address these um, uh, expressions of inequality. So they're not, they weren't hidden to us, but as a narrative, if you were hungry, if you were homeless, we would argue like that there's just a few of us out there and you can maybe have a nonprofit that serves 300 meals a day and that kind of fixes it. Well, a lot of us are noticing that with this quarantine period, a lot of us out of our own vulnerability coming forward and saying, Hey, do you have a, a bag of groceries for me? And feeling brave enough or vulnerable enough to go and get some free meals. I've noticed that in some of these locations where they're giving uh, groceries away, the lines are extensive. People are rolling up in their cars to get a, a bag of groceries. So what does that mean if you're driving in your minivan in your car that is a year or two old? It's because you're struggling and you're kind of stepping forward to say, hey, I need help. And then in our own lives, when you find yourself by yourself or maybe with your partner and your family, but you struggle with this moment of saying like, why am I having such a hard time getting along? 
why is it so hard for me to just be in my own home? It's, it's creating a sense of people coming, come to terms with like their own relationships, things that like, oh, well, before it worked really well, when you were able to come up, come home at, at 10 at night after a long day of work and you only interacted with your family for about two to three hours, but interacting with them for more highlights some of the things we haven't worked out with. I just want to pause that because I think it's really significant how you brought forward this idea of the mirror uh, metaphor. Because it's really important to think of the connection both individually as well as structurally. But there's also this moment of addressing the challenges. When I think about where we are as a community, we're all trying to get past this point. In fact, there's a couple of things that I, I, I hear. I'm hearing a lot of us feeling frustrated and just wanting to get back to work. Like, I'm done with this moment. I just want to get back to my life. And that moment, it may be sincere, but it doesn't address the challenges of how we're going to get there because just wanting to get back to work doesn't address the fact that the COVID-19 is still in circulation. And for many of us, we may feel that our bodies are strong enough. I was like, I'm okay. Nothing's going to happen to me. Yeah. But you're going to become a carrier. You're going to give it to someone who is vulnerable and you just walk away. And that person is injured. And as we think about community, we think about this interdependent relationship so that my actions affect others. And here we are returning to this conversation of this question you pose, which is like, how are we going to get through this? My question is, how do we prepare to get through this? We're both kind of saying the same thing in the sense that people coming together, the, the activism of, of even just providing some of those basic needs. I was talking to some uh, friends that I have yesterday, and they were doing exactly that. They were doing some food distribution at a local um, church yesterday. I was at work, and so it was, I knew they were taking care of what they needed to take care of, and, and maybe I wasn't there, you know, but I knew that something out, something good was going on in the community and you know this uh some of us losing jobs some of us uh being laid off some of us having the opportunity to work you know i, I think it's created a kind of like this hybrid using technology whereas maybe a lot of us did already use it and then a lot of us me for example i i wasn't used to so much technology but now i think going back to things reopening or things coming back together, there's going to be, I think, a new perspective. Perspective is big in making change because it gives us a new point of view and a collective point of view that things might not go back to what they were, you know, and am I going to be okay with that? Are we going to be okay? And what is it that we are actually asking for? So these things, these things that came up in the mirror as far as inequalities. So how do you want me to be an essential worker when you're not providing me with equipment, uh, protective equipment, or or even a, a wage that's going to keep me above the living the paycheck, paycheck etc. So I really think that that perspective and looking at how can we move forward 
with maybe even having a, a hybrid of different ways, different perspectives of life. Because if the other way wasn't working and this hit us and we weren't prepared and a lot of sequence of events happened to get us to where we're at now to acknowledge that, you know what? Life is very important. You know, life is sacred. And yet, what are we doing with it? How did we get to this point that life is now, you know, just a commodity of nothing? You know, and I think that's really the question uh, that we have to not only ask ourselves to live with, like, are we willing to now, you mentioned the word struggle, uh, and, and not only struggle and survive, but to thrive and how, because it's not just one group, it's many groups, you know, especially people of color. And I've seen, like I said, a lot of things um, from LA and live, let's say, um, where people have been, again, using these platforms, you know, to even just get it out you know, to get their feelings out, to voice their concerns, and to get a, that different uh, perspective, because we need that, I think, at this time right now. What I find interesting is the way that this moment shifts the conversation. As you mentioned, there's been a lot of work around, like, workers' rights, fair housing, economic justice. One of the narratives that we heard prior was that, you know, the workers didn't really matter. So that like, if you were getting paid uh, below living wages, there was probably something wrong with you. Like you didn't work hard enough. Maybe you didn't prepare. You didn't make life choices that took you somewhere else. And that if you happen to be an owner of a factory that was able to have a surplus of income that allowed multiple houses, then you probably did something right. Mm -hmm. And more than anything, you were more valuable. (laughs) And to the point here, as soon as this moment of quarantine happened, I, I think it was immediately recognizable that people heard the bell of like, Oh, what's going to happen tomorrow? Like, where's my, where's my food going to come from? And people rush to the grocery stores, you know, take as much as they can. And then those of us that went the next day realized like, Whoa, like there isn't any food here. Or what I found significant was that the store was even open. I showed up to my local corner mom and pop grocery store and they were open. They didn't have a lot there were, it's a small mom and pop uh, grocery store. So it's a family operated, but they were out there working. And this was before masks. So I was just kind of thinking like, wow, you guys opened, but I could see there was fear because they were open because they thought if we don't open, what will people do to my store? So I'm pausing to just think about that moment of alarm and insecurity that makes people like, I don't know, just become so overwhelmed with fear that they react with just that expression of vulnerability. And eventually that subsides and I go back and I still see that family, you know, opening up their grocery store. And then I go to other grocery stores, not family owned, 
but the workers are there too. And yeah, what I want to highlight is that at those moments, those workers became one of the most necessary people that a lot of us needed to see. You know, we needed to know that we could go and hopefully still get something. And at that moment, the narrative shifts because they are important. They're so important that we actually create as a community a term for them. We call them the essential workers. Yeah. And, and, and they include a lot of different people, you know, nurses, doctors, um, first responders. But I was, I was taken by the fact that, that the person that went, you know, at 6 a.m. to that grocery store to open up was included. That person that was a delivery person was included. All these people that up to this point were relegated to like being punished, I guess, for their own vulnerability were now being respected and recognized. But at this point, a lot of us are saying that is significant and we appreciate that inclusion, but can we back it up now? Can we say, if you're an essential worker, you shouldn't go hungry. You shouldn't be insecure that you can't afford the rent. You should be able to get some health care if you're injured. These were things that before were stated by those that might have had more economic investment, uh, inappropriate to ask of someone that was running a cashier register at a store. Now, I think, as you mentioned, um, there's this new perspective and there's the potential that things are not going to go back how they were before. And for a lot of us, that's scary because we don't know what that will be. For some of us, uh, it's encouraging. It's optimistic because we can envision this beautiful future that we've been actively working toward to get there. What, what does it look like to, to kind of step forward into that new perspective for you? Yeah, there's definitely a little bit of that fear or a lot of fear of the unknown. And, um, Back to, you know, a little bit of self-care and our well-being. When we're worried about that that future, you know, in an extremeful way, that causes anxiety. You know, we're, we're occupying our mind of what that's going to look like. And, and it's difficult right now because there is a lot of uncertainty. There is uh, anxiety of, of what that looks like. And when we're dwelling in the past about what we did have, because there is a loss. There's losses, actually, in many different ways. Uh, economic loss, uh, our jobs, uh, occupational, physical, the death, the uh, relationships, our environment, all these losses, you know, and, and when we are not dealing with it, uh, period, is that depression, so it sets in. And... Um, I think just going back to this whole conversation um, is that we have to take that, that closer look and, and talk about it and, and reach out for help, even though that help right now can be a little limited, you know? A lot of these platforms, telehealth, a lot of these new avenues, you know? And sometimes even just taking things back to, to ourselves, uh, to our own, our own hands, taking things in our own hands, and you're talking about the perspective again. And um, I read something earlier this morning. And um, one of the union leaders, a lady, she was saying that, I'm going to quote her, she said, my optimism, optimism about this moment 
has been sobered by the death of the illness and the government and corporate irresponsibility. But it doesn't stop me from renewing my faith in the ability of us to join together and make big change. And, you know, that faith, you know, without getting religious or of any dogma or anything like that, is that we as human beings, we have that eternal capacity, you know, to be connected to something bigger. And so also uh, more of a community base is connecting to to those other things, those other resources. Yes, you, you said something else that we haven't taken care of the most vulnerable or uh, as a way of life, it's happened that way. You know, we get to be where we're at today because somebody else, you know, went before that. But for somebody else is, is uh, suffering or giving them themselves for us to be where we're at. And so really looking at all the vulnerabilities and the fact is that we're all essential as, as people, period. You know, and, and that really has to be taken into consideration how we do and how we operate. Whether, you know, you're somebody who's cleaning, cooking, um, janitors up to, you know, anybody else, you know, working behind the scenes. And so I think really looking at at that, that we're all essential and that in order to move forward in life, we have to acknowledge those things. I'd like to return to something you mentioned uh, at the very beginning. So I've been struggling with something that I'm catching, which is this awkward moment of deniability, I guess is what I would say, of how death is addressed in our communities. I had a talk with a friend of mine earlier this week, and we're talking about, in particular, we're talking about uh, that young man that was shot, Ahmad Arbery, in February, uh, as he was running uh, by two individuals. And he was talking about what is the psychological effect of lynching to the black community. And we extended it further. What is the psychological effect of seeing people killed to everyone? And then we connected it to this moment we are right now that we are hearing on a daily basis the number of people that die. In fact, that's one of the ways that we keep tabs on COVID-19 as a transmitted virus that causes death. The thing that is uncomfortable is that I don't know, like I'm just taking inventory of this. I wake up in the morning and I hear the news and I hear the report and I look at the number of deaths. I never did that before. I was aware that people died, but I didn't wake up every morning to take a tally on how many people have died. (laughs) I want to use your words uh, that we're going through a period of mourning. I think it's an unrecognized period of mourning. Nationally, we're, we're reaching, you know, 100,000 people have died. We are finding ourselves now sharing stories of like someone I know has passed away. For a while, it was someone that I didn't know. But now I can say, oh, my, my front neighbor, uh, the ambulance came and took her out of her house. 
yet I want to address this idea of mourning and maybe the unacknowledgement of what is necessary. Yeah, what is necessary for our emotional health, our psychological health, our spiritual health, and our physical health to have to pause and recognize that this is unique. And even in those cases that you're talking about, because of the pandemic, people haven't been able to even grieve no more, have those uh, traditional ceremonies or, or wakes or however they they prepare their loved ones for you know, their their burial or, or, or et cetera. We got news of somebody that we didn't know. And uh, it was, uh, it, it, I don't think it was pandemic related. I think it was an overdose as a matter of fact. A young man. And but I know that the family, because of the pandemic, they had to. They're still waiting, you know, for the coroner's report, etc. Now magnify that, you know, like you said, and, and quantify that in those numbers. And I think um, too much of that can be psychologically harming. Looking at those numbers, I, I for one, I don't watch a lot of TV, uh, but I had a few times caught myself looking at at those numbers like they were saying and it was like not only a reality check but and not that I didn't you know you have to limit yourself I think uh, as a human being we're vulnerable you know and um, back to the process of dealing with with grief and loss and, and to even a further extended trauma this is very traumatic is how do I take control of safety for me. That is very key, especially in healing from trauma. I'll repeat that. How do I take control of safety for me? And again, I had started talking earlier about bringing things back to myself. What are those things that are going to help me keep grounded emotionally, mentally, physically, spiritually? Today, I haven't gone out yet. But yesterday, I, I got to greet the sun and be outside. And then my wife turned me and um, I just, we had we had a peaceful time out there. And for me, that peaceful time, just being out there at sunrise, allowed me to be peaceful throughout the day. And it allowed me for my day to be really full, to be like, wow, I had a really long, I don't want to say just productive, but a good day, you know. And so those glimpses of time, those moments of how can I have that little aha moment for me, for my spirit, for my soul, and whatever it is that you do, you know, we're at home more, and I think just kind of doing some things that maybe that you put off, you know, if you're an artist, getting into that art, you know, those things that are healing for you. Uh, if you're a musician, you know, uh, if you're a, a person who, who a chest, things like that. Um, but going, those are simple things. But back to the the bigger picture is that um, it's going to take time. It's going to take time for us to really get to the Western way puts it at acceptance. So culturally, we all have different ways, uh, and right now those ways even aren't accessible. Uh, so again, it might take even longer uh, as far as that. I process those. But on a day-to-day, um, 
there is children being born. There is that that cycle of life continuing. And I think that faith and that hope that I shared in that quote um, can keep us going too. Uh, we know a few families are expecting children right now. And, and even that, you know, the risk of going to a hospital. Uh, I did uh, have a word with some doctors from Loma Linda and they were talking about uh, their maternity wards and their places of delivery have all kind of been, um, you know, the staff that work, sectioned off, the staff that work there don't interact with other areas. And I think it was a little bit of some uh, assurance that we're taking safety measures. But I think really looking at the at the things that that can create um, a sense of uh, health, well-being, faith, you know, um, looking back at, at those things that can kind of just give us a little uh, sliver of hope. I'd like to return to the topic of self-care. <laughs> if you're comfortable sharing, just what is your take on self-care? I think um, in, a, in a very simple way, we have to really be in tune with ourselves and and being able to, quote-unquote, recycle uh, unhealthy emotions, feelings through, through our daily life and how to re-energize ourselves, how to refuel and, and in order and be well ourselves in order to be there for other people. And there's a concept of um, what they've called uh, in the field, you know, burnout. Uh, compassion fatigue, um, vicarious trauma, all these things that, that we come across. And, and I think, again, um, coming back to what, what sustains you, what makes you want to get up and have like that hope, that, that little bit of ray of life to say, you know what, today's going to be a good day. Today I'm going to try to do the best I can, not just for me, but for others. But it does have to be for me in the beginning, you know, to have my batteries charged. Um, we're in the season of spring right now and, and heading into into summer. Um, and I think that, again, nature, uh, for me personally, um, being out there and, and seeing things change, seeing things grow, uh, seeing life in action, seeing uh, the not only the the small things, but also the, the bigger picture. Different uh, philosophies, they say, there's the, the perspective, the vision of the mouse, which is uh, kind of small, because the mouse is really small, and it is just kind of what's in front of it, you know? And sometimes that's good. We have to see those little things that are in front. You know, for me, again, nature is the season right now that's going into blossoming into and then like full growth. And then what they call the, the eagle vision, which is the bigger picture. And I think, you know, again, two two polarities, but again having that that uh inter, intersect intersection, that inner peace, that that balance of, of having both, you know. And for me, um, you know, I know that uh, these things can uh, then these times um, have been challenging 
um, you know, simple as getting outdoors more, like I said. Uh, I was training a couple uh, weekends ago, uh, things that I hadn't got to, uh, things that sometimes we postpone, we don't get to because we're sidetracked, we're busy, or we're taking care of other people. And really being honest with, you know what, I, I just need to take care of this right now. And then later you take care of it and you feel kind of a little bit better that you did something. You did something for yourself. And then um, sharing our experiences, um, I think is very important. And, and coming together, like I said earlier, there's been a lot of um, groups, support groups, uh, groups coming together to talk about different things. And I think that's important. We had our first virtual graduation um, this week, and you know we're we're you're at a college campus, and I think that you know the class of 2020 um, in a, in a way to if, if they can find a way, they can find a way to honor those that have helped them and honor themselves for the work that they put in. Um, how would that come? I get it. There's no traditional graduation. There's no those celebrations that, you know, we get to honor those, those mentors, those people that have helped us. But again, going back to being creative and finding that way. So this week when we were uh, participating in our nephew's uh, graduation and we got to do these videos beforehand, and send them, and then his mother put them together, and it still had meaning. I think, it, in my opinion, it still gave meaning to what he was going through and his accomplishment, and and just being together on a on a uh, on a live chat about you know thanking him, you know, congratulating. He got a full scholarship, you know, to uh, ASU, Arizona, and and wow. You know, and so again, highlighting those those milestones, you know, I think can can do something for us internally, and then for those that are around us too. Um, and again, easier said than done, but I think finding that something to honor. Um, and again, I'll take this into not just the class of 2020 for all of us that are listening right now to honor yourself and honor those that are around you to help you be where you're at today. Carlos, I want to thank you very much for sharing this conversation with us today. You're welcome. Thank you for the invitation. You're welcome, Daniel. And, um, but I, I brought out my flute. I wanted to play some flute. It's okay. I'm going to, you know, take a moment for you, even for you, Daniel, for what you do and, you know, for your life, those that you work with, your family, that's very important, you know, just to kind of take that, that little break for ourselves um, and breathe, you know, just be, be still, be. But hopefully the, the mic picks it up. But if you want to just take a, a moment for yourself, Daniel, you know, whatever you do to kind of relax yourself right now and just kind of ground yourself. <laughs> Thank you.
There you go. Just a little little breath in there and things Thank come you. out. Thank you. Yeah. Welcome. Thank you. Take care of yourself. Igualmente. You've just finished hearing a conversation with Carlos La Madrid, community social work professional. We spoke about the topic of self-care, in particular as it relates to safety of ourselves and the safety of others. It's important to recognize just how much our lives have been altered during this moment and our respective struggles in responding to the change in schedule, the change in demands, often go unrecognized. Our conversation today addressed the necessity to invest in our emotional health, our psychological health, our spiritual health, and even our physical health during this period, a period that is being unrecognized, unidentified as a period of mourning. We are going through a period of mourning, mourning for the loss of lives in our local communities as well as national and global, but also wrestling with the insecurity of the future. I hope you can take this conversation to your respective circles and invest in building tool sets to prepare for a better future. You've been listening to Daniel on the D-Report, broadcasting on KUCR 88.3 FM, the radio station of UC Riverside. Please feel free to send me your thoughts, questions, any feedback you may have to the following email, comments at dreport.org. You can also check out our archive page, dreport.org, to check out past segments. Thank you again for tuning in. Stay safe, stay strong. Join us again next week.